before we begin, uh, let me ask God um, for his help as we look at his word together. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this evening, I pray that you would help us, help us to understand it, help us to accept it, change us by it, make my words clear, and bless us by what you say to us in this part of Proverbs. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Proverbs, first of all, is a book full of wisdom. It's a book full of God's wisdom, full of Jesus' wisdom. And we've said throughout our series that wisdom means skillfully knowing how to navigate the decisions of life in the light of God's word. Wisdom means skillfully knowing how to navigate the decisions of life in the light of God's word. You see, there are some decisions that the Bible speaks to very clearly don't steal, don't murder. It's black and white, it's right and wrong. But there are other decisions, important decisions, that the Bible doesn't say anything directly about. And it's in these decisions that we most need God's wisdom. Proverbs drives down into the, the nitty gritty of life, into the, the blurriness of life, and it points us toward the wisdom that we need in order to navigate through it. But secondly, Proverbs is a book for the king. Turn back, if you can, to the, the beginning of chapter 1. Uh, in verse 1 it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So in one sense, this is a book about how to govern well, how to be a wise king for God's people. None of us, so far as I know, are kings or queens, so does that mean that this wisdom isn't for us? Well, no, it doesn't. The key to being a wise king, says Solomon, is to recognize that you're not the top dog. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, he says again and again. And however much authority we have or don't have, the key to wisdom is recognizing who's really in charge. In these nine chapters, Solomon the king has been making the case to his son, the prince and potential future king, that he should rule wisely in the fear of the Lord. And in our chapter, chapter nine, he closes his appeal by describing two options, actually two invitations to two different parties. One is at the house of a woman called Wisdom and the other is at Woman Folly's house. The young prince must choose which invitation he will accept. A few years ago, uh, one Saturday in August, two of my best friends got married. Unfortunately, they were not marrying each other, and so several months before the big day, I found myself with two invitations and a difficult decision to make. Two couples that I valued a lot, 
two parties that promised to be a lot of fun. And since one was in Oxford and the other in Carmarthenshire, no way that I could kind of half and half and do both. This was before the days of Zoom, perhaps. Uh, now I could have. But I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a position like that. Well, in a sense, that's where we find ourselves tonight in Proverbs 9. We have received two invitations, two different parties that on surface don't look all that different. We can't attend both, and so we're left with a dilemma. Will we read on and choose wisdom, righteousness, and life? Or will we reject Solomon's advice and choose foolishness, wickedness, and death? Wisdom, righteousness, and life or foolishness, wickedness, and death. When we put it in those terms, the difference is clear. The choice seems obvious. Of course I'm going to choose wisdom over folly. Of course I want to be righteous rather than wicked. And if it's a choice between life and death, then I choose life. These are the terms that Solomon uses, but he only uses them as he begins to peel back the veneer on the invitations we've received. On the surface, like most things in life, the distinction between wisdom and folly is a lot more blurry, a lot more difficult to spot. And we'll see why as we get into this chapter this evening. We'll think about this chapter in two parts. If you have a service sheet in front of you, you can uh, see these headings printed there. Um, you can access that, again, at the link below the YouTube stream. Two invitations, two headings. First, verses 1 to 12. Wisdom's invitation leads to life. And secondly, in verses 13 to 18, folly's invitation leads to death. Let's begin. Wisdom's invitation leads to life. Chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Wisdom has made her case. The table is set. If you've been following the king's argument through the previous eight chapters, if you heard Jay speak on Proverbs 8 last week, you've heard wisdom give several speeches appealing to us to choose her. She has shown us why she is good and has revealed some of the blessings that come from knowing her. She has been building her house, slaughtering her beasts, mixing her wine. She might remind you of another woman of the adulteress in chapter seven. Glance over the page at uh, verses 16 and 17. But the difference is, while the adulterous woman has covered her couch with colorful blankets and expensive perfumes, wisdom has built a beautiful sturdy house from scratch. It's like the, the difference between spraying your shirt with some deodorant when it starts to stink and 
actually washing it or even better, stitching a new one. One has the appearance of cleanliness. The other is actually clean. One house has the appearance of the good life while the other is the real deal. Let's read on. Verse 3. Wisdom has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Having prepared her house and her feast, wisdom sends out her invitations, but these invitations aren't exclusive. She hasn't handpicked her guests. My friend Eamon is a philosopher and an excellent storyteller. He's the kind of person you would definitely want to have at your party because he always has something funny or interesting to say. But wisdom doesn't think like that. She doesn't discriminate in that way. Her invitation is to anyone who will listen. Now, simple is a little bit of a, a strange word um, for us to use. It, it isn't synonymous with the fool who we've seen earlier in Proverbs uh, or the scoffer who we'll meet in this chapter. I think it means something more like the unformed person, the person who can't yet be called a wise man or a scoffer, but who has the potential to go either way. I have a friend who's a ceramicist and one day I got to visit her studio and watch her work. She can create all sorts of interesting vessels and objects, but all of them start out as a formless lump of clay. That's what the simple person is like, the unmade vessel. Wisdom invites the simple, but she doesn't invite them to remain simple. Listen to what she says in verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom's invitation is to change. In other words, there's nothing wrong with starting out simple, but there is something wrong with remaining so. When my friend was studying ceramics, she probably could have submitted those formless lumps of clay for her exhibitions and assessments, but they wouldn't have done very well. They have to be cut, spun, and molded by the artist's hand to be fired in a kiln. The clay must change. Wisdom's invitation is to change. Is that an invitation that you're willing to hear? Wisdom's invitation is to change. Wisdom's invitation is also to live. That's what she says in uh, verse 6 again. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. But what is the connection between accepting wisdom's invitation and life? Well, I think that's the question that Solomon answers in the verses that follow. But before we get an answer, we could come across what might at first seem like a slightly strange uh, interjection in verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wise man incurs injury. 
Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. It's a bit of an odd change in tone, isn't it? Why are we, why are we suddenly talking about correcting and reproving or not correcting and not reproving others? Well, I think that what Solomon is doing is telling his listener that the simple person that you can respond to this book to, to wisdom's invitation in one of two ways. You can reject it like the scoffer, or you can accept it and be changed by it like the wise man. There is no third way. Solomon is asking what kind of person are you going to be molded into? There's two things to notice here. First, the difference at this point is no longer between the wise man and the fool as it has been previously, but between the wise man and the scoffer. We've not really met the scoffer before. He was there in chapter one, but he hasn't shown up since. The scoffer is the fool in his true clothes, shown for who he really is. The fool is not simply ignorant of God's wisdom. He despises it. He rejects God's correction. He hates those who bring it to him. We, of course, see this all around us. One man said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will believeth in anything, scoffing. Second, notice the apparent conflation of the wise and the righteous in verse 9. Perhaps those aren't things that we normally hold together, but verse 10 tells us why we should. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you recognize that verse, it's because we've already heard it back in chapter 1. Solomon wants to make doubly sure that we really get it because this is the point. Solomon can conflate wisdom and righteousness because the difference between a wise man and a fool is not what's in their head, but what they make of God. The difference between being wise and being a fool is not what's in your head, it's what you make of God. Now, fear the Lord in this sense doesn't mean being afraid of God, but it means recognizing that he is the real king, the wiser king, and submitting your wisdom to his. So will you receive God's wisdom like the wise man or like the scoffer? As you read on in the book of Proverbs or anywhere in the Bible, you're going to find things that you disagree with that don't line up with the way that you think things should be. Apostle Paul called the gospel, Jesus' death for our sake, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. There are scores of Proverbs across this book and even if you're a Christian, not everything that you read here will fit neatly into the way that you see the world. When we come across verses like that, we have three options. We can ignore what God says. 
we can try to change what God says or we can accept what God says and let it change us. Only one of those options really looks like fear of the Lord. Only one of them is really wisdom. And this idea is where we find the answer to our question, what is the connection between accepting wisdom's invitation and life? Verse 11 makes it clearer, for by me, by wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Wisdom and life go together because wisdom and God go together. If you really know God, you will live under his wisdom. If you really know God, you will have life. For Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 12 reminds us of the weight and potential consequences of the way that we respond to this invitation. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, but if you scoff, you alone will bear it. You and I are responsible for whether we choose wisdom or folly. And you and I will bear the consequences of our decision. Let's turn to folly's invitation to understand what that really looks like. Point two, folly's invitation leads to death. From what we've said so far, it might seem that when it comes to choosing wisdom or folly, the the decision is going to be clear and easy. Solomon certainly wants to make it clear how fundamentally different these two invitations are, both in the way that they want us to respond now and where they lead us in the end, life or death. But we can't just assume that when wisdom and folly present themselves, it will be an easy decision to make. We, we need to be prepared. We need to be on our guard. In these verses, Solomon reveals the difficulty and the subtlety of the decision. Folly is loud. Folly is seductive. And folly doesn't always appear that different to wisdom. Let's read from verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat on the highest places in the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The woman folly is loud. She calls from the highest places in town. Like wisdom, she is everywhere. You will bump into her. You will receive her invitation. She is seductive. Not only will you encounter her, but you will desire her. She looks good. She looks attractive. Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She appeals to our most basic desires. She draws us in with the promise of pleasure and of delight. But possibly most importantly, folly doesn't always appear that different to wisdom. 
Her invitation sounds identical. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the same. How many of us choose folly because we think it would be a good idea to be foolish? No. We choose folly because we think either because we've been fooled or because we've fooled ourselves that it's actually wisdom. When the scheming men back in chapter one tried to convince the, the prince to throw his lot in with them or the forbidden woman in chapter five and chapter seven and when she invites the prince to come and spend the night with her, it doesn't look like foolishness. It looks like easy money, easy sex. You can understand how the prince might convince himself that it would be wise to go with these people. But while wisdom and folly often appear the same, it could not be more different. They're different in the way that they call us to respond now. And they're different in where they lead in the end. They're different in the way they call us to respond now. Look back at wisdom's invitation in verse 6. Here's what she says. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom's call is fundamentally a call to change like the lump of clay. She calls us to leave our simple ways, to walk in the way of insight. Folly, on the other hand, would not have us change. Remember the scoffer in verses 7 and 8 and his response to correction. Abuse, injury and hatred. Folly loves that response. She loves for us to remain as that unformed lump of clay. Now, the unformed lump of clay, that might sound like a neutral response and an inconsequential response, but it isn't. Perhaps the most shocking difference between wisdom's invitation and folly's is where they lead in the end. Wisdom leads to life, verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. While folly, despite her stolen water and, and secret bread, her, her colorful linens and expensive perfume, leads only to death. Verse 18, but he, the simple one, does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. What looks like sweetness and pleasure, a perfumed bed and an attractive boudoir, is actually a graveyard. The dead are there. Have you ever bitten into an apple that looked sweet and ripe only to find it rotten inside, eaten away by a worm? Or remember Snow White, that was even worse. Her apple was poisoned. That's what folly is like. It leads to death. This is how Solomon finishes his introduction to Proverbs, his appeal to his son to listen to the wisdom of this book, wisdom's invitation which leads to life, and folly's invitation 
which leads to death. And the reminder that he will be held accountable for the choice that he makes. Which invitation will he answer? Which invitation will you answer? Which will I answer? Will we go to wisdom's house willing to have God's word correct and change us? Or will we go with folly, rejecting God's correction and reproof and continuing on our own way instead? What are we going to do with the sermons that we have heard this weekend? Will we prayerfully take them away, think through the implications of what God has been saying to our church through his word today and and work out how to apply these truths both both, uh, personally and corporately? Or will we have forgotten them by the time we wake up tomorrow morning? What will we do in our own Bible study this week when we come up with things that we disagree with or that are simply hard for us to hear? Will we reject them, ignoring them or twisting them even subtly until they're more comfortable for us to accept? Or will we wrestle with them and submit to them knowing that God knows better than we do? Will you take this summer as a break, not just from work and other responsibilities, but from God and his word? What will we do this week when we have an opportunity to to fudge the numbers on our timesheets just a little bit to make up for that long lunch or that morning that we took off? What will we do when we have the opportunity to profit ourselves or our companies at the expense of someone else? Or how will we respond to that man or woman from our office or neighborhood or online who who gives us the attention we feel we need, that we deserve, but that we know is dangerous? Will we sail close to the wind, carry fire close to our chest? Or will we choose wisdom tonight and flee those things? Solomon, we know from the rest of the Bible, didn't always choose God's wisdom He took many wives, he worshipped other gods, and he turned away from God's covenant. Solomon's sons didn't choose God's wisdom either. None of the kings of Israel and Judah consistently did. And so this book, that was supposed to help the king rule wisely in righteousness, justice, and equity, ends up exposing the king and just how far he had fallen from God's ideal for his position. It makes us ask the question, will any king rule with God's wisdom? Will any king choose righteousness, justice, and equity? Don't you wish that your rulers ruled with this wisdom? at Holyrood and at Westminster? Don't you wish that you always ruled your own life with this wisdom? I know I do. 
that you hadn't said yes to that extra drink, that you hadn't lost your temper and yelled at your kids. Proverbs makes us ask the question, will anyone really choose wisdom? If you've been following our series in the mornings through Mark's gospel, you've been getting to know the answer to that question. Jesus Christ, God's true king, who always rules wisely, fairly, justly. Do you, like I do, keep trying and trying and trying to choose wisdom, but feel like you fail at every turn? Do you feel uncertain and shaken by the turbulence of our politics and our leaders' potential for folly? These are normal emotions, friends. They point us to our need for someone greater, someone wiser. If you are a Christian, you find that someone in Jesus. Praise God for him and resolve to enjoy the blessing of a life that comes from living under and in submission to his kingship. If you're not a Christian, it's so good that you've tuned in. If you would like to know what it's like to live under a truly wise leader who always rules with righteousness, with justice, with equity, we as a church would love the opportunity to introduce you to Jesus for yourself. If a Christian friend invited you to listen in tonight, I'm, I'm sure they'd love to chat about that with you. You can come back here next Sunday at 10.30 in the morning and hear more about King Jesus. Or if you'd like to get in touch with us sooner, there's details of how to do that at the church website, and we'd love it if you did. Stakes are high, friends. Isn't it striking that at the end of chapter nine, King Solomon finishes his introduction on such a stark note? He's literally talking about the possibility of death. That's where folly ends up. That's where her invitation leads. It's where a life lived rejecting God's wisdom goes. It might not feel like it at the time, but it really is the case. That's how important it is to, to choose wisdom, to live under a leader who chooses wisdom. It's a matter of life and death. In fact, King Jesus says it's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. So which invitation will you answer? Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, our truly wise King. We pray that you would help us to lean on him and his wisdom, submitting our wisdom to yours in reverence and trust, Bless our conversations after the service and into this week. Pray that as we speak with one another at this difficult time, we would be consciously guiding one another in your wisdom. And that all of us would be open to and transformed by godly correction from your word and from the mouths of your people. In your son's precious name, amen.